This is Stan Phelps, co-author of Purple Goldfish 2.0, 10 Ways to Attract Raving Customers, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I produce this podcast to help us both keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow faster by taking a sales-based approach to marketing. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. And if you're one of the many, many listeners who's left a review on Apple Podcasts, I want to drop a little something in the mail to thank you. Details after the interview. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Stan Phelps back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the book he has co-authored with Evan Carroll, Purple Goldfish 2.0, 10 Ways to Attract Raving Customers. Stan Phelps is a TEDx speaker, IBM futurist, and Forbes columnist. He is the founder of purplegoldfish.com, a speaking and training consultancy that helps brands to win the hearts of their customers and employees. Stan is also the best-selling author of Green Goldfish 2.0, Golden Goldfish, Blue Goldfish, Red Goldfish, Pink Goldfish, Yellow Goldfish, and Gray Goldfish. And interesting fact, Stan is the author of another book that has had enormous impact on my life and career <laughs> bar tricks, bad jokes, and even worse stories. 101 <laughs> bar tricks, riddles, jokes, and stories. Stan, congratulations on Purple Goldfish 2.0, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. Great to be back. Well, bar tricks, bad jokes, and even worse stories. What I have to tell you, though, is that because I go the extra mile in studying for all these uh, interviews, I spent a lot of time in bars, you know, this is before the pandemic, <laughs> you know, uh, try, te field testing all of those jokes and stories. And right. um, yeah. yeah, did I get slapped a lot? Yeah, I did. Okay. But that's, that's the, the, you know, I suffer for my art. What can I say? <laughs> right. So another interesting fact about Stan Phelps is that you have both an MBA and a law degree. Did you practice law? You know, I never, I studied, studied marketing undergrad and I always knew I wanted to do my MBA and I, I wanted to work in sports and I, I realized that, hey, that, that may be an interesting way to kind of spice up what otherwise would have been a rehashing of my undergrad. So I added on an extra year and uh, did my JD MBA. Excellent. So I guess you drop your own contracts then, right? 
I do. I, I did. I I did pass the bar in the the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, but I've never really practiced. I do use it on a day to day basis, but uh, never a a practicing lawyer. Well, I saw something on Facebook the other day. Some friend was spouting off about something. I don't know why I was on Facebook, but. I said, uh, jokingly, and I said, and where did you get your law degree from? Because, you know, all these uh, experts are on Facebook these days, whether they're talking, <laughs> regardless of what the topic right. is. And uh, and we, we both had a good laugh. I, I can never say that to you on Facebook because then you'll actually <laughs> answer me. So I have to be, I have to be careful. But uh, so you were on episode 197. Yes. We did the pink goldfish. That's right. And this episode is number 297. Shut up. So episode 397, which is going to be August 19th, 2022, I've already penciled you in. Love it. By the way, my my latest book, and I've got to update my bio, one of my latest books is all about sales. So we definitely have to get back on. Oh, please. Yes. How did I not know about that? Gosh, The diamond, the diamond goldfish. Oh, good, good. So after I interviewed you for that episode uh, 297, I was then able to meet you in person and Evan Carroll in Raleigh, and we all had breakfast together. And that's when I spoke at the American Marketing Association Triangle Chapter. And that then became, the audio for that then became episode 201. And just so the listener knows, this is the part that Stan's probably not going to appreciate me talking about. Oh, geez. Stan Phelps, you are a good dude. You are a good guy. And here's what I mean by that. After I gave the talk, I was trying to get some feedback because I'm not like a Stan Phelps professional speaker. I get asked every once in a while to give a talk. And I asked for some feedback from everyone. And it was like, oh, that's great. You know, it's, it's, it's good. You know, it was, it, thanks. We really appreciate it. The audience really liked it. You know, it's nice to hear that. And I, I think everyone was really polite. And come on, it is the South. Everyone is very polite. So, I said, Stan, you know what? I asked you the same thing. And I think, uh, as I recall, you said, okay, I will give you some feedback. And it was like, yes, please. And you wrote out a, a document and I, I copied it and put it into a, a document of I have. You were very specific, giving me all kinds of guidance. I mean, some of these things were stupid things I didn't get right. And I, I immediately fixed and I had no idea. And But it was it was a little bit of tough love. And just so you know, Stan Phelps, I've been hospitalized twice for concussion sustained in boxing matches. So your feedback <laughs> that was no problem at all, really, you know, but it was it was enormously uh, helpful. And and so you even you have a presentation, you've talked, and I re- I follow you and 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 read what you say about you know giving presentations and it was, and right down to the little uh, the equipment you should use. So it was it, I anyway. I really appreciate it. It had a really big uh, impact on me. So. Changing the topic here, the funny way we met, and this has to do with marketing book podcast listeners. So I yeah, have we, a, met, we met from someone across the pond. Yes, in the Atlantic. So uh, I have uh, these friends who are listening. One of them I've met a couple times, AJ Hausman. He lives in Amsterdam, and then uh, a listener who I haven't met but I've become friends with is uh, Roland Dewitt, who now works for Salesforce, and he was in Eindhoven. Now he's in Breda, and I'm just trying to impress all the listeners in the Netherlands with my knowledge of these different towns uh, in the Netherlands because they are so. You're, you're not impressing them with the pronunciation oh. of that, that last town, but go ahead. How do you pronounce it? 
I think it's Breda. Breda, yeah. Yeah. Well, so anyway, I'm, I'm still trying to impress them. And there are so many <laughs> listeners in uh, the Netherlands. I can't believe how many there are. And then I figured it out today. You know why there's so many listeners in the Netherlands? Because they're smart? Well, obviously they're smart. But also, the, the Dutch are very good-looking people. And I have the best-looking audience in all of podcast land. So, you know, I, I don't know why it took me so long to to figure that out. But at any rate, I introduced AJ and Roland together because I knew that they, they, I couldn't believe they didn't know each other. And then uh, Roland's company became a sponsor of AJ's uh, conference, uh, content marketing conference and all that sort of thing. And, and they've, uh, I've even gotten them both speaking gigs <laughs> together in, uh, in the, in the Netherlands, which I'm happy to you know help point them in the right direction. And then Roland says, Hey, there's this guy named Stan Phelps. You've really got to meet him. <laughs> and here he is in the next state from where I am. And it's like, you know, it takes me to introduce two guys in the Netherlands. It takes a guy in the Netherlands to introduce me to a guy who's, you know, just a, a few hours away. So it's just kind of, kind of funny, but, um, Stan Phelps, like I said, you've written these goldfish, but green goldfish, uh, golden goldfish, blue goldfish, red goldfish, pink goldfish, yellow goldfish, gray goldfish. And now you've just mentioned diamond goldfish. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here <laughs> I think there may be. I'm sensing a thread of a thread. Uh, goldfish. I, I'm probably the first one to uh, to notice that. But before we get into an explanation of of uh, why it's a goldfish, which is very interesting, could you explain briefly what all the different colored goldfish books talk about? You mentioned that at the beginning of this book. Yeah. Uh, so purple, which is the 2.0 um, that we're going to chat about, was the was the cornerstone. It was where I originally started on this journey all the way back in 2009. And the goldfish is really just a metaphor for the idea that little things you can do can truly make the biggest difference. And so I, I ended up starting a project back in 2009. I wanted to crowdsource over a thousand examples of companies that did the little things to be remarkable, to stand out and differentiate the experience that they provided. And what's really interesting is that when you studied, a th- you know, I studied over a thousand, you start to see the patterns of how you can do this. But the companies that really got it, even got it more so for their own employees. And so that led me to doing the second book in the series, which is The Green Goldfish. And I didn't learn my lesson. I did another thousand examples of, of companies that did little things beyond compensation to, to drive engagement and to reinforce their culture. And then, of course, you got to think trilogy. And this word lanyap that I write about, the idea of doing a little something extra, comes from New Orleans and was really inspired by kind of Mardi Gras. And so the third color of the official colors of Mardi Gras is gold. And so the the third book in the series was all about the idea that all of our customers and employees are not equal, that we have, you know, literally what's called the vital few. For most businesses, your top 20% of customers drive 80% of profitability. And then I, I won't go through the other seven colors, but suffice to say, then I, I looked at how technology impacted the experience. I explored purpose 
and created purpose archetypes. I looked at happiness, generational, because we now have five generations in the workforce, differentiation and weirdness, which is pink. And then my last two have been communications, which is silver goldfish. And my first sales book is the diamond goldfish, really all about how do you excel under pressure? Mm. Oh, okay. Of course, it's diamond. Well, the forward to your book was written by none other than Russ Klein, who's the president of the American Marketing Association. Yeah, he's a rock star. Oh, you know, I got to see him speak a few years ago in Virginia Beach, and I still think about that talk. It was just amazing. And interestingly enough, and we're going to talk about this, is he kept talking about focusing on your most valuable customers. <laughs> Not to mention, focus on your customers first. Right. It was really, really well done. And, and I've always uh, enjoyed reading uh, about what he's up to. But also when I see that same theme in other books, that was the first time I had seen that. And I want to uh, read something from his intro. Sure. He writes, Purple Goldfish 2.0 walks you through 10 ways to attract raving customers. This advice is more valuable than ever before. Why? Today, people describe their experience with a brand more than the product or price. More than 80% of consumers would pay 25% more to ensure a superior experience. More than 80% of customers will stop doing business due to bad experiences with a business. And nearly 80% of consumers share bad experiences, warning others, discouraging others, and venting about their negative experiences with brands. The performance data of companies that take an intentional approach to experience design is clear. Happier customers, higher retention, more profitability. And then he goes on to say, Purple Goldfish 2.0 provides both inspiration and guidance for marketers seeking to up their game and their results by getting serious about experience design. Once they've shown you how great brands are using intentional experience design to build their own brands, Stan and Evan will light your fire to do the same for your brand. But wait, there's more. Stan and Evan wouldn't dream of leaving you without a roadmap. Their idea process, I-D-E-A, will help you design your own purple goldfish and add signature extras to your own customer experience. And then I see... Uh, you've got the forward to the first edition by uh, our mutual friend, Drew McClellan. And I was excited to see that. And for anyone in the agency world, if you're not familiar with Drew McClellan, find out about him. Go to agencymanagementinstitute.com. He's got a terrific podcast. And I just, I love him to death. And he's been doing so many great things for agency folks during this this whole pandemic thing. So in the introduction, uh, I want to quote from something you've written. We've lost focus in marketing. We've been so laser-focused on automating our marketing to prospects that we've forgotten to deliver an exceptional experience once they become customers. Advertising is no longer the answer. Traditional media is expensive, fragmented, and for the most part, ineffective. Customer support is non-existent. We're too busy outsourcing it. We've developed complex loyalty programs that confuse customers and only promise future benefits. What we really need is a concept that differentiates our brand, promotes retention, and generates word of mouth at the time of purchase. We call that concept a purple goldfish. So (laughs) now, Stan Phelps, what's this goldfish thing about? (laughs) <laughs> so again, the gold goldfish is simply a metaphor. What's really interesting 
is that the average goldfish is the size of your thumb. It happened to be my first pet when I was growing up. And I always thought that goldfish only grew to be roughly three inches or you know upwards of 10 centimeters. Well, it turns out, if you had to guess, what's the world's largest goldfish? Like a foot long or something? No, more than it's nearly 20 inches. And I, I know that because I spoke at Guinness Book of World Record two years ago, two August ago. Think about that. That's six times average, right? And so why is it that some goldfish grow to be average or smaller and yet others grow to be six times the size? It'd be like you walking out of your house this morning and bumping into somebody who's three stories tall. And so the quick... The quick thing is the same five reasons of why a goldfish grows are the same five reasons anyone on this podcast with their business or their career will grow. And so I'll break them down real quick. The first is for a goldfish is the size of the bowl or the pond that they're in. And this is a direct correlation. The bigger the bowl or the bigger the pond, the more they will typically grow. And in business, that's simply the market for your product or service, right? The bigger the market you serve, the more you can grow. The second one is is really simple. Their growth is also impacted by the amount of other goldfish that are in that bowl or pond. And this one's an inverse relationship. So the more goldfish, the harder it's going to be to grow. The less goldfish, the easier it is to grow. The third reason is so relevant right now because for a goldfish, they're also influenced by the quality of their surrounding and environment. So the more nutrients, the clearer the water is, the better they they do. When things are, are murky and there's not a lot of nutrients in the water, they suffer and stunt. And so what's that surrounding right now? Well, it's the economy, or, or it could be the pandemic that we're all dealing with. Could be government regulation, tariffs, right? The fourth thing for a goldfish is how they do during their first four months. So, you know, how they get out of the gate is absolutely key. They're, they're tiny when they're born. And um, so what are you called your first four months when you're in business? You're, you're a startup. Yeah, or if you launch a new product or service, how that new product or service does in that critical first four months will be an indicator of future growth. And you know, Stan, what came to popped into my head when I was reading that was that it also kind of reminded me of how like the first 90 days or the first four, four months are so important to the success of a customer. Absolutely, how you onboard them. Absolutely. So, so number f- so first of all, we had what the size of the bowl was the market, the other goldfish were your competition, the surrounding was the economy. How you do in the first four months is when you're a startup or a new product. The last one is this, and it's so key: it's the genetic makeup. So, for a goldfish, what are they born with that separates them? from all the other goldfish in the pond. And the stronger their genes are and the more that they're separated, the more they typically grow. If their genes are weak and they're like everyone else, the less they typically grow. 
So what is genetic makeup if you're in business? It's simply the extent that you're differentiated from your competition. Which is really the only thing of those five that you can control for. Thank you, because that is the only thing other than maybe choosing the market that you serve, right? But it is the only thing you can control. And so when I started out on this journey, what frustrated me, and I was the biggest abuser of it, is that marketing was at least 80, if not 90% focused on who? Getting new customers. Right. The prospect. (laughs) It seems like it still is. (laughs) And here's the thing. I said to myself, we work so hard to get these prospects and convert them, right? We're so focused on that top funnel, right? That we realize that we're, we're watching them just drip out of this bucket at alarming rates. We've worked so hard to acquire them. And then we provide a substandard experience that doesn't, many times doesn't meet expectations. And so I'll reinforce what Russ said. Russ said, look, your brand is no longer what you tell people it is. Your brand today is simply what your customer experiences. It's how they feel about that experience. And most importantly, and, and Jay Bear is right, me, right with me in this camp. Mm-hmm. It's what they tell other people about that experience. And the irony is we're so in marketing focused on acquisition of a new customer, we fail to realize that that new customer is only one-fourth as valuable as a referred customer who comes from someone that we already do business with. Yes. Think about how we all buy. I mean, I'm trying to find various people to help with my uh, house now that I'm (laughs) spending more time in it. Evidently, the roof was leaking and there was a tree about to fall on it. See, when I had an office, (laughs) I could ignore (laughs) these kind of things and they would go away, you know, like a medical problem. But I get a lot of books about brands and branding and I've read one too many that still assumes that what the company says about itself is what the brand is. And that's part of my beef with a lot of books about that. And your book and Russ's comments couldn't be clearer. It's, and I think uh, even Jeff Bezos famously says, look, your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. Right. Well, and that has nothing to do with your logo or some sort of team building spirit thing. It's, it's, it's much more about what's in your book and, and, it seen, I remember there was another book on the show a while back by uh, Scott and Allison Stratton called Unbranding. And they explain that the most important branding department in a company is human resources. They argue that it has more to do with the kinds of people you recruit and retain and uh, how you treat them <laughs> that has more to do with your right. brand than anything the folks in uh, marketing can do. Anyway, well, let's, let's go on here. Talk about Lanyap. It's spelled L-A-G-N-I-A-P-P-E. And I believe it's a Creole derivation. Creole. So French and Spanish originated in southeastern Louisiana. And it's originated in the the 1800s. And it literally means, stands for the gift or to give more. And so it became a practice for a merchant if they were doing business with you, that at the end of the transaction, 
they would do a little something that would be added to the transaction, quote unquote, for good measure to honor the relationship and go beyond the transaction. Now, I love this because I'm a big Mark Twain fan. Mm -hmm. Mark Twain spent a lot of time in New Orleans. In fact, in his autobiography, which I, I just listened to on a recent road trip, it's called Life on the Mississippi. He talks about learning the word when he spent time in New Orleans. And he, I love this. He said, Lanyap is a word worth traveling to New Orleans to get. Hmm. And, and here's the thing. I think in business, we, it, business is very much a zero-sum game, right? I give you X, you give me Y. And it has to be equal, right? We're always trying to extract as much value, both parties. And here's the thing. If you do a transaction and you feel like you're slighted or you get less value, you're going to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And that's where negative word of mouth comes from. Well, if we know that if we do something a little less than equal, that's going to result in having to correct it or negative word of mouth, which is horrible for a brand. The opposite also occurs. What if we did that equal? Not only we delivered and we met expectations, what if we consciously did a little something extra just out of you know the honoring the relationship to do a little something extra? And that's what Lanyap is. It's that little something extra. And Stan Phelps, you have a little something extra for the listeners, don't you? I do, I do. So here's the thing. Listen up, listener. He's, he's actually got a little treat for you. Back in February, I printed over a thousand copies of my little mini book, which is this neat little, if you're not familiar with mini book, they're so cool. It's a 32-page kind of executive summary of Purple Goldfish 2.0. So connect with me on LinkedIn, mention the podcast. I will ship it anywhere in the world because that's how much I believe in this concept. That is great. I appreciate you doing that. And folks, if you can't send them a message on your phone through LinkedIn, uh, wait until you're back at your computer to do it, but please make sure to include a message because otherwise he's going to assume you're one of those mini spammers that I really seem to attract a lot of uh, on LinkedIn. <laughs> ah, you know, it's just that magnetism that I have, I guess. So in the book at the beginning, you remind readers about how marketing is changing. Right. Talk about some of those things. Uh, it may be news to a lot of listeners, but I think it, more importantly, it's, it's such an important reminder. How has marketing been changing? Well, uh, it, look, I don't, we all have understood that in the last 20 years that the power has shifted, right? The, the customer now knows so much more about the product and has much more insight to not only reviews of the product, but other consumers that are, you know, sharing, sharing their experiences. And so, you know, Russ put this so eloquently in the introduction. He said, it used to be that we talked about the idea, your brand is your promise plus the experience. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, no, no. Going forward, your brand is this. It's your experience 
to the power of story. And so we need to be thinking about what is the story that we're enabling our customers to tell about us? What's that unique thing that we do that gives them a reason to want to talk about the experience? What's that Jay Bear would call, Jay Bear and Daniel Lemon would call it a talk trigger, mm-hmm. right? And here's the thing. Sometimes it's about the added value the, that you do, but that's only half of it because what we found is that there's another half that are about little things that you can do to reduce the effort that your customer has to put out. So it's one part, how do we go above and beyond to maybe do something physically extra? Or how do we go above and beyond to make it easier for the customers that we deal with? Yes, and in the forward by Russ Klein, he writes, experience design is the next frontier for brand building. And one of the ways you talk about how marketing is changing here is Number four, love is a battlefield for customers and marketing. And you write, Gartner reports that 89% of business leaders say customer experience is the new battlefield and the number one thing they'll compete on. And then you go on to say, Pat Benatar could not be reached for comment. (laughs) Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah. The footnote to that is 89%, nine out of 10 companies say, customer experience is the number one thing we're going to compete on and differentiate on. You go back to 2012, Gartner asked that same exact question. That's the year Purple initially came out. That number was 36%. Really? Yeah. So that gives you a sense in the last eight years how that has jumped up. And here's the thing, and, and Jay will point this out. You know, we all know that referrals and word of mouth is our most powerful vehicle. But literally when you ask a company, all right, you acknowledge that that's the most important thing. Tell me what your strategy is to get that, to to be sticky enough that people are going to talk about the experience and they're like, (laughs) you know, what's funny, that reminds me of the book by John Jantz. Uh, the referral engine, all about getting right. referrals. And he taught, he did research for his book and he talked about how, I don't know, the majority of businesses said they got their business through referrals. And then he asked, how many what of you, you have doing? a system for getting <laughs> that? And it was like almost none. It was just... Right. Anyway, yeah. See, even I start to do some, um, some pattern matching and all this sort of thing. Here, here's the thing. What really digged me about marketing is marketing marketers have so much of a campaign mindset. Like we're going to do something special, but it's just going to run for the next two or three months. Yeah. And it's going to be a big push. Right. Like an interruptive push. Yeah. And so this idea of, of Lanyap is, you know, an example of, and I love this because they just did something special during COVID is I, I stopped telling people when they were when I was crowdsourcing this, don't tell me the double tree chocolate chip cookie, okay? Stop. But that's a great example of that great little first warm impression and a signature thing that Doubletree does that separates them from any other hotel chain. And I don't know if you know this, during COVID-19, for so many years, they've been doing it since the 1980s, it was a secret 
what the double tree recipe was. And during COVID, they actually open sourced it. They gave it to everyone. Yes. I remember learning about that in uh, that special series I did called Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. <laughs> did you, I don't know if you were familiar with that, but it, no, I didn't. I wasn't part of that. Well, you weren't. I, you never responded to the email I sent. So Jeez. I, I only got through 66 and then I had to um, give my liver a break. But it was basically a daily episode. I, I talked to, it may have been uh, Jay Bear who told me about that. Or, or David Merriman Scott, I can't remember which one, but basically it was a daily show in addition in addition to the normal Friday book interviews where I would get together with one past guest and we would have cocktails and then they would talk about their observations on the on the pandemic. And um, I, frankly, I don't remember anything we talked about. I kind of blacked out through the whole 66 episodes, but but I'm back. Okay, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I, at any rate, well, listen, chapter one, you say uh, is is titled the biggest myth in marketing. <laughs> Stan Phelps, what is the biggest myth in marketing? Uh, and this is I had a moment that happened to me that like set me on this journey, and I it'll be too long of a story. But the the punchline is this: the biggest myth in marketing is the idea of meeting the expectations of your customer. And I think that's, you know, it's akin to like trying to play prevent defense in football, right? It only prevents you from doing one thing, winning. And, and here's the thing, this is the point I make is that no one ever meets the expectations of a customer because only two things ever happen. No one gets to that finite point of meeting. You either exceed expectations or you fall short. (laughs) And so the challenge is, you know, it's a choice you have to make. Do we, do we do less or we do more? And I say, choose more. Yeah. It's really no choice. Yeah. You have to, but it doesn't mean, you know, giving it all away and all that sort of thing. I mean, the whole, the, the book is, you couldn't be clear about how that uh, is done. And we'll, we'll talk about that. But let's talk about one thing related to that, you know, trying to stand out. What are the two most important questions to answer in order to stand out in today's climate? Two biggest questions you need to ask is one, what is valued by your customers? Truly valued, not what you think they value. Right. And then two, how can you deliver on those things that are valued, right? So be great at the things that they value the most. And then create some signature elements of added value to drive home that differentiation. So it seems like the biggest challenge is finding out what the customers truly value. And we're going to talk about that because there's some uh, there's a part in the, your idea uh, acronym where I really want to go into. But you said that 80% of our judgments are based on two factors, which are warmth yeah. and competence. And I, it seems like I've seen that before. <laughs> Maybe it was in Pink Goldfish. Uh, but what, explain yeah. what you mean by warmth and competence. That's very interesting. So there's a, there's a tremendous book by Chris Malone. He used to be the CMO for Choice Hotels and Aramark, storied career with the MBA, Coca-Cola, um, the NHL. He teamed up with Susan T. Fisk, who's one of the most prominent social psychologists in the world. She's at Princeton University. 
And they wrote a book called The Human Brand. And it turns out that literally 80% of how we view other people comes down to just two factors. And the factors are warmth and competence. And it stems from, and this is fascinating, from how we have evolved as human beings. And so I want you to imagine walking out of the cave, right, early, you know, early man, and everything you came into contact with, thing, animal, other person, in a split second, you would have to answer two questions. And the first question is this, what is the intent of this person or thing coming at me? And very quickly, number two, and your life might have been dependent upon it, what's their ability to carry out that intent? Mm. So what's the intent? What's the ability to carry out that intent? The intent piece is warmth. The ability to carry it out is competence. And it turns out that over 50% they found how we judge other brands comes down to just those two questions. So here's the thing is how do you figure out ways that you can really in a, in a during that experience be able to convey both the warmth, right? As well as being reliable and competent in what you do. So what would be an example of of warmth and competence there because I my concern is that folks will think of warmth as being, you know, warm and fuzzy. Right. So I'll give you a great example. This is a B2B example. So I live in North Carolina in what's called the Triangle. My office is in Research Triangle Park. And uh, there's a local sportswear brand here called Peter Millar. You familiar with Peter Millar? The name rings a bell. So they they do high-end golf and kind of resort wear, I guess you would call it. And um, so they're selling to retailers. And Two things they do, and I love, one hits on warmth and the other hits on competence. So when they send a shipment of polo shirts out to a golf course or to a retailer, they always package a little tin of mints in the box. Little thing of mints. It's a small little thing that they do, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing they do, though, they know that when they send it to a retailer, the first thing that retailer is going to have to do is inventory the shirts, right? Did we get everything that we ordered? And this is this is the thing that they do that's brilliant. They place the shirts in the box exactly how they are listed on the, you know, the the invoice or the bill of lading. So when somebody is is going through and inventorying it, it literally is just a simple process of going, all right, three of these, four of these, five, and then there's six at the bottom of the box. Not having to get them out and organize them. Yeah. And that's an example of, you know, that to me, the mints is a little small thing that they do to honor, you know, they didn't have to do that. But what's funny is that we write in the book is, you know, they must've run out of mints at one point and they sent out a few shipments and sure enough, they were getting calls. <laughs> where, where are the mints? And and again, the, the I'm sure them you know putting the shirts in the box or the p- shorts or pants in the box in the way that they're they they're much more efficient 
and it's almost a little bit of quality control, right? But that little act, because you know that that's what the retailer has to do at the other end, is that little bit of competence that I love Mm -hmm. as a little something extra that they do. Interesting. Well, let me read from two other parts from the book here. You say, what if there was a simple marketing concept that could move the needle toward achieving differentiation, driving retention, and stimulating word of mouth? What if your execution was 100% targeted with zero waste and given with a personalized touch? We believe, okay, get ready, everybody. We believe the answer to doing this lies in focusing a greater percentage of your marketing budget on the customer, (laughs) not the prospect. What is this heresy you write? And then you go on to say, okay, you need to figure out a way to get people to talk about and recommend your product. A small, unique, and unexpected touch that provides fuel to the word of mouth fire. Well, I wrote after that, okay, how? Of course, it was at the beginning of the book. <laughs> the whole book is about that. <laughs> right. Very, We're going to get to that. Yeah, the whole book. And so um, you've got uh, you know 10 different ways that it's done here. And I'm, there might be others, but these were the 10 that really seemed to encompass everything. And it was a, we'll talk about a couple of these, but like throw in, sampling, guarantees, paying it forward, first and last impressions, added service, waiting. In other words, how to deal with the wait. A lot of customers wait, convenience, handling mistakes, and thank you, and follow up. So the first one is a throw-in. And explain why what that is, and why is that the first one listed in the book? It's probably the majority of when we crowdsourced a thousand examples, they would fall into this category. Mm. But it's the idea of something that just gets thrown in for good measure. Like the so mints with int- Peter Millar? Yeah, that, that's, that's a throw-in example, right? They're throwing those into the box. It's something that, you know, you, you go out on Bourbon Street in New Orleans, maybe you buy five rounds, maybe the bartender throws in the sixth round, right? It's something that gets added. You know, at the end of the meal, um, they come and give you, a, you know, with your check, a couple mints or something that you can bring home. That's the idea of a throw-in. It's it's just a little something extra to honor the relationship and go above and beyond the transaction. Okay. So that reminds me of a, a Greek restaurant I used to go to when I lived in Germany. And it was, you know, sometimes it was crowded. So they'd say, well, can you wait at the bar here? And the first time I went there, they so they started giving us shots of ouzo. And it was like, oh, oh. And then they would give us more. So then, of course, we started going only when we knew it was really crowded. <laughs> Busy. <laughs> but even then, we, we couldn't stop going. We loved the place. I mean, we liked right. it. But, you know, hey, come on. And they were happy to have us. And uh, right. the bartender was bored. And that's where I can help. So at any rate. Well, n- number five is about first and last impressions. Could you talk yeah. about the the power of what you call primacy and recency. Again, very important, right up there with the warmth and competence. Yeah, I think, in, and people who study advertising know this, right? You run a 30-second spot, critical you know, six seconds are the first three and the last three. And the reason being, people, you know, people tend to remember the first thing that they, they hear and they tend to remember the last thing that they hear the most recent thing that they hear. And um, so here's the thing, you know, all parts of the customer experience are not equal. Definitely the first thing that you do 
And the last thing before somebody logs off or hangs up or walks out the door is going to stick. It just will. And maybe, maybe Douglas, there's like a peak in there somewhere, right? During that experience. Right. But um, you need to be strategic about it. And sometimes people say to me, Stan, these are little things that you're recommending. You know, maybe they're, maybe they don't, they're not going to make a big difference. Well, let me give you an example of this, right? Because um, I'm a big fan of Moe's. Have you been to Moe's before? Welcome to Moe's. Welcome to Moe's. What's the first thing they do to everybody who walks in? It's a greeting. They shout that out. Right. Now, here's the thing. A number of years ago, and I've got the study in my book. It's fascinating. This was in the International Journal of Marketing Studies. Two, two professors out of New York wanted to test how impactful a greeting and or a gift would be before somebody purchased food at a QSR, a, a fast food restaurant. Now, here's the thing. Four groups they tested. The control group got nothing. The second group got a greeting. The third group got a gift. And the fourth group got both a greeting and a gift. Now, here's this is staggering. If you didn't get the greeting or the gift, you were in the control group. On average, you ordered $7.11 worth of food. If you got the greeting, that number went up to $8.39. Didn't cost you anything, right? You just greeted someone. If you didn't get the greeting, but you got the gift, it went up to $9.39. Now, let me qualify what the gift was. A tchotchke keychain or a small little sample of yogurt. Now, I'm no genius, but don't you think if you gave somebody food before they ordered food that they were going to eat, that that might even reduce the amount of food that they would eat. Yeah. Here's the magic. Here's the magic. The group that got the greeting and the gift ordered $10.41 worth of food. Now, what's the difference between $7.11 and $10 and I think it was 41 cents? That's a 46% increase in purchase by doing a little something extra. And here's the deal. Those that got the greeting and the gift, more likely to recommend, said that they were more satisfied with the experience and that they were more likely to come back and return. And yet so many companies probably think, well, we just need a, a better product or, or that's just, I don't see how that's going to that's gonna work, but it, it, it really does. And it also makes me wonder why more companies don't, don't do this. But Let's move on. Number nine was about handling mistakes, which for me brings to mind a story I've told on this podcast in the past about a former client who, when I was at another agency and a big IT firm, really successful. And uh, the president was once saying how when they were talking to a prospective new customer, the issue of references would come up. And the president uh, Andy Downing, he would say, well, you know, we can give you a list of happy customers, but how about if we give you a list of customers where there was a problem and we work mm. through it? <laughs> so it, it, this just reminded me of that. Talk about how 
handling mistakes, uh, or rather why proactively admitting to mistakes uh, is right. so powerful, not to mention unexpected, at least in my experience. Well, first off, you have to realize that only one out of 25 customers complains. 4%. That's it. Mm-hmm. So when you start to see smoke, you can be damn sure there's fire. So that's the first point. Um, here's the thing. Uh, you know, you've, you've got to try to correct that. And here's the thing. And it's all about the idea of honoring the relationship and doing a little something extra. It's not enough just to correct it. Studies have shown that, and this is, I think your the agency owner was onto something. If you can properly correct a mistake, the relationship is actually much more solid than if you had done things perfectly. Mm-hmm. But you have to do it the right way. And I would argue you not only have to go and make it right, you have to purposefully go above and beyond to make it right. And view them as, you know, I'm going to tell you that this is important, but I will also tell you, and this was a point in Pink Goldfish, there are some customers that you should embrace that complaint and never fix it. But when you have the right customer and you're in the wrong, you've got to go out and you've got to handle it and you've got to solidify that relationship. Yes. And that brings to mind yet another uh, Jay Bear book was called Hug Your Haters, where I think he may have, he fielded some research and he was also talking about how it was about 4% of customers. Yeah. And, and, and they're actually, by complaining, they're actually providing you valuable information that most companies would pay a research firm uh, bags right. of money to, to get that kind of feedback. Right. So yeah, handling mistakes and, and uh, you know, proactively admitting the mistakes, it's just so powerful, at least in, in my world. Let me share one that I think is the lowest hanging fruit out of all 10 of these types of, of purple goldfish. And unfortunately, we can't see it because we're too close to our own products and services. And it's, it's sampling. Mm. We, we think of sampling that, again, we're so fixated on acquisition I remember when we spoke last time, you mentioned Noah Fleming and his, he, how he, he said it's marketers are obsessed with sex. Yeah. They're addicted the conquest, to sex, right? Yeah. Conquest <laughs> right. rather than like right. the, the, the idea of the, the, the romantic notion of the hunter that, uh, you know, bags the prey and drags it back to the cave rather than what may seem less sexy of the farming. That's where the money is. I mean, his book and right. your book are two that just for those reasons alone, warm the cockles of my heart. So here's the thing is, you know, sampling is such an effective tool. The research bears it out. But here's the thing. Why wouldn't you use that same thinking for the customers that you already have? And this is, this is what really drives it home. We have the curse of knowledge as marketers, right? So for example, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this question. When you used to work at that agency, I'm sure you had a breadth of services that you could provide to the clients that you served. If you had to guess on average, what does the client know of your capabilities of 100% of what you can do for them? 
Oh, they're always surprised. Any business, they go, oh, I thought you guys just did this. Right. On average, your yeah. current customers, the ones that are already stroking you a check, on average, know 20% of what you can do for them. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? The people that are already doing business with, why wouldn't you throw a little something extra in that doesn't cost them anything and it's a minimal cost to you? Why wouldn't you give them a sample of something else you can do for them? Oh, and the conversion rates would pro- are probably off the charts because they already trust you. There's a little risk in 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 going with you. And even if they say, well, we don't need that, or we've got someone else helping with that, then they know, but they still might be able to say, you know who you should talk to. Right. <laughs> you might even get a, a really warm referral out of that. Yeah. So, I, in my, and it's the simplest example, and it's yet my favorite in the entire book. It's from a small little ice cream place in, in St. Paul, Minnesota. It's called Izzy's Ice Cream. And when he opened the store, they're like, his name's Jeff Summers. They're like, Jeff, you need to sample your ice cream. And he's like, I don't want to give away my ice cream. But he had the genius to go, you know what? No. What I'm going to do is when somebody buys a scoop of ice cream, I'm going to allow them, because they're already paying, to pick an additional flavor. And I'm going to give them this little mini scoop on top. And that little mini scoop is called the Izzy. Mm. And now you've just given a customer that, and, and and Wells Fargo used to be, it was in the first edition. I think I've taken them out of the second edition <laughs> because they understood this better than anyone because the average banking customer has two and a half financial products. The average Wells customer back in when I originally wrote the book in 2012 had over six financial products. And it turns out they actually had more than they knew. They they only knew four, right? (laughs) Right. Um, But here's the thing. Not only when you have a bigger share of that customer's wallet, that's great. But the benefit that Wells Fargo knew is once I can take you from two products to three or three to four, your risk of leaving me as a customer, what happens what? Goes way down. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now the lifetime value for, you know, most customers are a drain on us because we never make back what it took for them to become a customer. Where we start to make money is if we can extend the lifetime value of the customers we serve. And I think sampling, again, the reason why people don't do it, it's too simple. <laughs> right. Like it's too so simple. Much, so much in the book. But Wait you a got- second. That, that's not sexy. You know, I love this. Are you familiar with Kiehl's that does like skincare and cosmetics? No. You've probably seen some of their stores. K-I-E-H-L-S, Kiehl's. Mm-hmm. Um, you can call them up. You can email them. You can write them or while you're in store and ask for samples. Each year they give away, I think it's like 10 million samples. But every time they ship a product out in a box, this is another example of a throw-in. Why wouldn't you throw in? Bigelow tea. This is so genius. Are you a Bigelow tea drinker by chance? I'm not. All right. So I used to like green tea. I would buy a box of Bigelow, 
they have like 10 other flavors. They have, they will always put a vanilla chai or constant comment, give you a, a a free taste. It's not, you know, it's an extra that they're putting in the box, but it's just brilliant. Yeah, I've noticed when my wife over the years would come back from Costco, she'd buy something that you know, she'd normally buy. And it was just you know some interesting food or something like that. And I every time I'd say, "Hey, what prompted you to get this?" She said, "Oh, they're giving out samples," <laughs> which of course plays into the Robert Cialdini, you know, whole reciprocity thing. So right. So we've talked about four there. Um, let's talk about what they all have in common. Stan Phelps, walk us through the rules. The rules. So the rules, um, when, I, when I did the first book, what I wanted to give people is kind of a guideline or in what I would call ingredients of creating your own purple goldfish. And I'm a huge acronym guy. You know this from the Flossum. <laughs> yes. And I'm not, I'm not going to get into my obsession. By the way, MOES stands for Musicians, Outlaws, and Entertainers. I did not know that. Yeah, there you go. They only play music of dead musicians, by the way. Oh, that's right. You mentioned that. Love that. Yeah. So anyway, um, so R is for relevant, meaning that whatever you decide to do, if it's not valued by your customer, then it's just a waste. Yeah, like another keychain. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Unless that sparks 46% increase in sales. Right. The U in rules is for unexpected. Yes. Because the beauty of this, if you can do it right, it becomes that little bit of surprise and delight. And the beauty thing is if you do it correctly, it's not a campaign. It's something that's ingrained in what you do. Right. It's engineered. <clears throat> and it's unexpected because someone is, they're expecting what they thought they were going to get. Now you've done a little something extra to honor the relationship. However, the L, for the yeah. the Millar, the shirts, now that became expected though, but that was, I guess, expected in a good way, the mints in the boxes. Yeah, and, and the, the customers were calling up when the mints weren't there. You still <laughs> expect it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's still a but nice the first time thing. it's unexpected. There's yeah, it's somebody unexpected. Every week and that's, who, what, yeah. that's what, so here's the thing. We need to think about breaking what's called schemas. And schemas are these patterns, right? Our brain doesn't want to have to think. It's the most, it uses the most energy in our body. Um, So we just want it. We see patterns. But if we can disrupt a pattern by doing something out of the ordinary, we have to almost talk a bit, just because we've broken the pattern, we have to talk about it. And that's the goal here. Mm -hmm. We want people sharing what their experience is, hopefully a positive experience, right? The all right. The second thing is the the L is the idea of being limited. Yes, and limited means you know if DoubleTree does a a warm chocolate chip cookie, that shouldn't be my thing because it should be unique to you. Um, It shouldn't be ideally not copied very easily. Mm -hmm. The E in rules is for expression. And the idea is it's not so much what you give, but it's more about how you give it, right? So one, one of the, another B2B example, a, a toner company, I forget which ink company it was, they, they would come and they would always vacuum the, 
the like where the toner would go in. Mm-hmm. And did you really have to vacuum it? No, but was it a little extra effort that that went on went above and beyond just to show that you're paying attention and creating a good good experience? Yes. So it's again not necessarily it could be a small little thing. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. It's an expression to honor the relationship. The S is probably the most important. The S is for sticky. And if and it, there's a great book called Made to Stick by the Heath brothers. Yes. But it, it's it's the idea that, you know, you want it to be uh oh, you call I, it water call cooler it, material. Yeah, you want it to be what you want it to be remarkable. Mm-hmm. And and so is it something that's going to stick? Is it something that people are going to share? Is it distinctive enough to stand out? And and that's really the rules. What I'm excited and and we haven't really mentioned Evan, Evan Carroll, who I wrote Blue Goldfish with. We've went on speaking tours together. He he came to the Purple Goldfish more from an experience design and a UX background. And what I'm super excited about this book is that we break down the idea framework, but it's a 12-step framework from how you go from you know beginning to end on enhancing the experience and putting these purple goldfish together. Yeah, and I should add there's a workbook that's also sold on Amazon uh, that I, I, I don't have it, but it looks like it would be really, really helpful because you get... Pretty granular towards the end there, and let's talk about that for just a minute. There's there's four you know, idea. We Russ Klein mentioned it. You talked about it, but it's basically four uh, kind of major phases where you go through this. And one is called inquire I, and that's where you get this information that we've been talking about, like what really do your customers value, and then you talk right. about designing it, and then this is the part that a lot of <laughs> companies probably skip. How to evaluate it? In other words, right. know, let's not go whole hog. Let's let's evaluate some of these. Some are going to work, some aren't. And right. then you talk about ad- advance. What I want to talk about, Stan, though, is more about this uh, inquire step. And sure. again, this just you know made me just stand up and shout. It was on page one ninety two. You write. Before you undertake the creation of Purple Goldfish, you must first understand the big picture, something CX professionals, customer experience professionals, call the customer journey. By understanding your customers' journeys and that no two are alike, you can discover the gaps and opportunities to create Purple Goldfish. Can you talk then about the journeys, the gaps, and the opportunities that you use to, to, to map this out? Yeah. So the, the idea is that as you think about kind of the, the five stages, and I'll break down the five stages. First, somebody becomes aware that they have potentially a need that your product or service might, might solve, right? The, the next step is what we call the compare phrase. So this is when they're weighing options, they're looking at reviews, they're asking friends, but ultimately, the rubber is going to hit the road at some point, and they need to move forward. The next part of the phase is what we call the purchase or the buy phase. Mm-hmm. So what is it like to actually buy and be onboarded as a customer? The fourth phase is the use phase. 
And that's like, what is it like to be an ongoing customer? What is it like to, you know, use the, the, the benefits of the product or the service? And then ultimately, the last part is what we call the share phase. So, you know, what do you tell other people about the experience? Do you come back? Do you? Or, or do you even tell them? Right. Or, you, yeah, exactly. You just, you just, you ghost them, right? Um, and and here's the thing that as you look at the journey, you start to look at all of the different touch points that the customer interacts with you uh, at these five different stages. And what you try to uncover is what Evan wrote that is the idea of either a gap. So this is an area where there's a need by the customer that's not being fulfilled by the experience that you're providing, or an opportunity. And an opportunity is the idea that there are key moments during that journey that that really stand out. And we say opportunity because that's a point that if you can do a little something extra Mm -hmm. and do something to stand out at that point in the journey, it's going to pay back, you know, tenfold. Right. And you talk in the book about how a lot of companies that they, they get this far and, and I would say congratulations on, you know, just going through some of these steps, you're automatically going to be better than your competition just by getting started here. Right. But also a lot of companies will then start to use this only to, I think you call it flatten out the road. In other words, they're just trying to find the problems. And I got right. the impression that the mistake they make is not looking for opportunities to uh, what is it? You uh, create a peak moment or uh, yeah. to really excel? I'm going to go. I did mention Made to Stick. One of the more recent books that came out about four years ago from from the Heath brothers is called The Power of Moments. Mm-hmm. And the real big takeaway is there is that about 80% of what we do in experience design is about filling the potholes. Yes. It's about covering up the gaps. Mm-hmm. It's about correcting mistakes. It's about trying to smooth over the rough edges. Which is not a and bad thing to do, but don't stop there. Right. And but what they found is that actually what we tend to remember, again, that first interaction, maybe a peak moment, the the last thing that we remember tend to stand out and become these powerful moments and that moments can actually pay back at about 9x the investment of instead of just as opposed to just fixing a gap. Which fixing a gap reminds me of meeting expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I I love it as the idea is that we don't, we want to look at it from the lens of, again, the inquire bit is about understanding what your customer values the most. And we want to be great at the things that are most valued. And this is going to get into a little bit of a pink goldfish philosophy. In some areas, we want to be unapologetically awful at the things that don't matter. Right. Because you can't be great at everything. No one has unlimited budgets. So in order to fund the things that you want to do on the things that matter, you have to take, you know, you have to take a hard look at the things that don't matter. 
And, you know, this is about getting close to your customer and understanding the attributes that they value the most. Yes, that reminds me of a car dealership. I think it was up in uh, New York when I was living there. And it was they would have these intentionally awful commercials, almost making fun of other commercials. <laughs> and they would say, I think the name of the dealership, they'd say, great service, lousy commercials. <laughs> There was so much in Pink Goldfish along that line. It was so much, right. so much fun to read about. Well, I just got to read. I have to quote uh, two sentences from page one ninety four, which just I, I wish more people uh, would would take to heart. The biggest trap you can fall into is assuming you know exactly what your customers want. Sure, you likely have a good sense of their needs, but there's always so much more you can learn. I have learned that. That is so true. It is so right. true. Uh, companies don't know as much about their customers as they think they do or that, th- that, they, that they want to know. Here's the har- harsh truth for most marketers. Most marketers would say to a customer, if I wanted your opinion, I would have told you what it was. <laughs> right. That's the truth. That's the truth. Yeah. And I think there was some movie about Navy SEALs where uh, there, one of the lines was the more senior SEAL says to the newer person, if we'd wanted your opinion, we would have given it to you. <laughs> so, well, I just got to ask two more questions from the final thoughts at the sure. end of the book. Uh, not, not Jack Candy's deep thoughts, but uh, thoughts. the final two questions. Explain, Stan Phelps, what you mean when you say – you can't make chicken salad out of chicken crap. <laughs> that just spoke to me, Stan. Here, here's the thing, right? You, you know, I don't want people to get wrapped up in the idea that the purple goldfish is the end-all, be-all. Right, the silver bullet. Like your, your, your product or service has to be rock solid. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. It's, it's really hard to stand out just on the merits of your product or service. We live now pretty much in an, Rohit Bhargava has this great say, he says, we live in an age of equivalency. It used to be that maybe you had a geographic advantage. Um, Maybe your, your product could be measurably better than others, but there are very few instances. Where we shine today is on the experience that wraps around the product, right? And uh, Seth Godin has a great quote. You know, it's, it's not just about the product. It's about that stylish little bonus that you get. It could be the, the box that it comes in. So here's the thing. You, you, there's no substitute for, you know, have it. You, you need to have that great foundation to then think about adding on to it. Right. This isn't going to cure uh, a, a problem with your product or service. Or back when I was in, in the ad world, the joke was, nothing kills a crappy product better than great advertising. Right. <laughs> it would just hasten the client's demise if they, you know, they didn't have a, a, a good uh, product. So um, the other one is, I want you to talk about exercise versus liposuction. As it relates to this, and I think you even touched on it earlier when you said about campaigns. 
You know, I think so many times we as marketers, we get into this campaign mindset. It's like the, you know, the idea of going to the gym versus getting liposuction, right? We Mm -hmm. could throw a lot of money at kind of a campaign mindset and, you know, look pretty for a little while and then the effect is going to wear off. Whereas what we talk about with the purple goldfish is you're realizing you're, you're making this, these little things a foundational part of the experience that you provide. It's very much a commitment because you don't want to do something extra one day and then create that dissonance when your customer comes in and starts to expect it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, and that's why it's so important to test these things. You want to come up with the right stuff. And the idea, it's not just one thing. It's the great brands, and I have about 70 in my Purple Goldfish Hall of Fame, great slide share on it, um, is that the great brands, the ones that are in the Hall of Fame, the Apples and the Zappos of the world and the Southwest Airlines, they don't, they're not one-trick ponies or one-trick goldfish. Mm-hmm. They've got multiple things, and they're continuously – looking at the experience and finding little ways that they can stand out. Yes. That was interesting at the end of the book where you talked about the ones that really get this. They have, they have uh, several aspects of that. And so it's like, again, it takes me back to the word engineering. You know, you engineer this together and then you've got sort of a system and you can evaluate it and it's just, uh, you can keep tweaking it. And it just seems like a flywheel that just starts going uh, faster and faster with, with less effort. So, Stan, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? My goal is that marketers are at least 51% focused on the customers that they already have, and they start doing the things with the customers that they have so that they get the customers that they want, creating an experience that's remarkable, that earns those referrals. And my hope is that they're, they come up with a strategy to do that little something extra. We can dream, can't we, Stan? I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, it's so true. And, uh, you know, it's faster revenue. It's easier sales process if you're, if you're, if you're dealing with those people, just like the, the ice cream store or the, um, the other example you talked about where the companies are already buying from you. <laughs> you're already in the tent. They may have an unmet need. So what is one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of the many ideas from your book? Well, I, I think if, if, again, I think sampling is the lowest hanging fruit, right? Yeah. Especially now we're in a global pandemic. It's hard to get new customers. It's hard to establish trust. How can we do a better job for the customers that we're already serving? Right. How can we figure out ways that we can do little things to be able to satisfy the needs of the customers that we have? That would be my challenge. That is solid gold advice. Uh, it was true before the pandemic, but now uh, even more so. Now, granted, I started hearing from companies that may have gotten my email address 10 years ago and I'd never heard from in the past saying, <laughs> we're here for you. Thank you, Mr. Los Angeles Cab Company. I 
<laughs> I appreciate right. knowing that, but, but still, at least they were trying to, they're trying to reach out. So are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading besides Diamond Goldfish? <laughs> Well, the, mo- the, mo- the most recent one in the series actually came out on May 5th, which strategically was 5-5. It's all about communicating. It's called the Silver Goldfish. And because we're dealing in this world where we're now having to do a lot of virtual meetings, I think communication is, is paramount right now. Mm. And we need to figure out ways that we can structure our messages to come across loud rising above distraction, come across loud, and also clear, so we're memorable. Mm. So I'm going to recommend Silver. Silver. Okay. And don't think I didn't notice that that came out on Cinco de Mayo 5-5. Come on, Stan. Yes. And you know what, Stan Phelps? You've been on the show twice now. So if you if I can get you to come back on a third time, you will be a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club. And you know what that gets you? Nothing. No, it gets you discount coupons at any Cary, North Carolina area Taco Bell. <laughs> I love it. You'd be amazed at how many authors are writing books just to be able to get into the Marketing Book then, Podcast. Yeah. How many, do you, how many do you have in the, uh, the Trifecta Hall of Fame? Well, it's funny you should ask. I actually had to create a tote board. Let me bring it up here. Hang on. Wait for it. Wait for it. I think there are... Well, first off, there's two in the Six Timers Club. Wow. And one of them is Rohit Bhargava, who you mentioned. Right. And I've interviewed him about two of his uh, Coffee with an Expert books, which are fantastic. And then he came on four times. He was always the first guest each year talk about his uh trends books ah yeah yeah With the last one he did he after 10 years non non-obvious yes yeah. non-obvious trends and then uh mark schaefer has been on six times wow and uh he's the king of the marketing book podcast and i and i say king i mean that in an elvis kind of way not a british uh, monarchy way and he's actually working on another one he's already sent me a couple chapters just to get a my feedback on something, uh, which I was happy to provide. So hopefully I'll be having him come back. And then the Five Timers Club is only David Merriman Scott, right? Uh, author of New Rules of Marketing PR. And then there's four in the Four Timers Club, and there are currently three in the Three Timers Club. So, mm. you know, pencil in, uh, pencil in Mr., uh, Mr. Phelps there. So just, you know, just, you, you know, you seem like the type that's able to, uh, you know, set and achieve goals on your own, but this is just in case you needed some, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm here to help. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. So I'm an advocate for all my guests, for all those, all those authors. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, uh, like some of the books that you've mentioned, like a couple of the ones from Jay Bear. We're going to include links to your speaking website, your company website, and you know what else I'm going to do? Because I want to do a little something extra because I'm kind of in this lanyap mode. On page 238 of your book, you guys included additional reading we recommend. And there's 18 books there. And they weren't numbered. I counted them up. Okay. See, I'm, I'm going the extra mile here. There are 18 books. I'm going to include links either to the interviews I've done with some of these authors. Ah. Uh, or I'll just include links to their uh you know, to their Amazon page. But I see, yeah, you've got in here uh, 
talk triggers and giftology and uh, some of these others. So yeah, they're terrific books. People can go to and find it until they're able to to buy the book. And I'm also going to include a link to Stan Phelps's LinkedIn page. And uh, Stan, tell him again why I want that LinkedIn uh, link on your show notes. Yeah. Connect with me on LinkedIn and just mention the uh, Marketing Book Podcast and we'll get you a mini book of Purple Goldfish 2.0. Very nice. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you're not driving right now and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Purple Goldfish 2.0. 10 Ways to Attract Raving Customers. The authors are Stan Phelps and Evan Carroll. Stan, thank you very much for joining us again on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who've left an iTunes review, I would like to return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I will drop it in the mail to you. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on this show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of, for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.